Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents part two and the conclusion of his teaching, It's Not Too Late. So we've been talking about it's not too late, and in part one last week, we introduced a radical concept when it comes to the topic of time. Let me just put it to you this way. It's not too late to do something great for God. I don't care what your age is. I don't care what mistakes you've made. It's not too late. There's a guy by the name of Yogi Berra. Some of you have probably heard of him. He was with the New York Yankees baseball team when they were perennial World Series champions from about 46 to 62. And he had these really awesome sayings. The most famous you've probably heard, he said, it ain't over till it's over. Amen? It ain't over till it's over. And he had another one that has nothing to do with this message, but I think it's cool, so I'm going to give it to you. It's like deja vu all over again. That was Yogi Berra. So Yogi Berra said it ain't over until it's over. Some people say until the fat lady sings. It ain't over till it's over. But God says about your dream, it ain't over ever. He says it ain't over ever. That means he's already factored in all the time that was lost through all the bad decisions and wrong turns you made and the ones you're going to make. And if you'll cooperate with Him and remain faithful and be willing to repent, to forget the past and press toward your future, God will get you where you need to be when you need to be there. Amen? So what I want to do now is cover some of the scriptures that we studied last week because they, they bear repeatings. They're so powerful. We're not going to hit all of them, but there are a few we really need to reiterate. They are so powerful. They're so full of revelation. So if you missed last week, I encourage you to pull up the podcast and listen to it when you get a chance. Let's begin with Paul's words from Philippians chapter 3. Amen. You know, this is Philippians 3, the first part of verse 10, and then verse 12 through 14 in the Amplified. I just want you to sink your teeth into this because it's very, very powerful. Paul says, for my determined purpose is that I may know him, talking about Jesus, that I may know him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly, and that I may in that same way come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection. Here Paul lays out quite powerfully and quite eloquently his desire to know Jesus in a deep and abiding way. And in his desire for the same resurrection power that flowed out of Jesus to begin to flow out of him. Amen. Isn't that what we all want? We want the resurrection of power of God to flow out of us in all directions at all times. Amen. At least I do, and I think everybody in here does. He goes on in verse 12. Not that I have now attained this ideal or have already been made perfect, 
but I press on to lay hold of, grasp, and make my own that for which Christ Jesus the Messiah has laid hold of me and made me his own. Amen. In other words, I like the way Andrew Womack says it. He says, you know, I'm not there yet, but I left. I left where I was. I'm making strides toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God. Verse 13, Paul says, I do not consider, brethren, that I have captured and made it my own yet. But one thing I do, it is my one aspiration. That's Paul's way of saying it's my number one priority. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Amen. How hard is that to do? It's difficult, but Jesus is here to help you do it. Verse 14 says, I press on toward the goal to win the supreme and heavenly prize to which God in Christ Jesus is calling us upward. Now, let me give you my paraphrase of those last few verses. I believe Paul was saying, I have not attained the full measure of perfection that was purchased for me by that resurrection power but I'm making it my life's mission to get as close as I can before I go home to be with the Lord. I leave my past behind and press on toward my glorious future in Christ Jesus. Everyone in this room needs to have that attitude. Now we're going to read from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. I personally believe and some scholars believe that Paul wrote this. He wrote the book of Hebrews most of them think that he didn't, but I happen to believe that he did, okay? I just think there's just something in, the, in the, the, the content of Hebrews, even though it's a little bit different style from his epistles, it's just the same guy talking about the same things. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed or surrounded about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Nobody else can run your race. You have to run your own race. Now, I believe that you can couple this verse, Hebrews 12.1, and Philippians 3.13 together, which concerns our past, and makes the case that one of the things that seems to weigh us down the most is memories of our past. Is there anybody in here that doesn't regret doing something in your life? Especially all the wrong turns and bad decisions that we made in the past, which we believe, at least in our minds, were destiny-altering moments. Now let me explain what I mean by destiny-altering moments I've used it several times already last week and this morning. I feel like I owe you an explanation. My definition goes like this. Destiny-altering moments would be mistakes or wrong turns that we believe cost us so much time that we will never recover. We will never recapture our destiny. We will never get back on track as a result. It's wrong thinking. But that's what I'm referring to when I talk about destiny-altering moments. And we end up pondering how much further along we would be had we not made that wrong turn or made that bad decision. In other words, we believe that the mistakes of our past are so egregious that even God can't fix them. Nothing could be further from the truth. 
Remember something I said just a few minutes ago. I believe God has already factored in all our mistakes, all our wrong turns, all of our flubs, and he's still able to redeem the time, restore the years that the enemy has stolen through lies, through deception, and through sin. That's what I believe. Now, last week I shared my own night of torment back in the spring of 2014 where I lay awake all night with visions of all the mistakes I had made over the years, all the wrong turns, all the opportunities I missed, all the favor I squandered throughout my life. And as I alluded to earlier, I ended up agonizing over what might have been had I not made the wrong turn or that bad decision. Let me tell you how thorough this night of torment was for me. How many know that night of torment was not from God? I mean, I rehearsed everything from my triple overtime loss in the sectional wrestling tournament at Reynolds High School in Winston-Salem to the flying assignment I accepted at Columbus Air Force Base, Mississippi, which turned out to be an utter disaster. In my mind, they were both destiny-altering moments in my life. Had I not underestimated my opponent, who I'd beaten easily twice before, I could have made it to the state championships. I mean, at the time of this encounter in 2014, it had been 40 years, but I still found myself reliving that moment when my opponent, who I'd beaten twice before, made a move I wasn't ready for, which won him the match 3-2 to two in triple overtime. I mean, I was the number one seed in the tournament. I was so crushed by that loss that I was still pining over it. As I said, 40 years later, that's pretty sad. You could probably call it pathetic. <laughs> anyway, his name was Mac Ford. He was from Starmount, North Carolina. He was a really good guy. You know, I ran into him at Myrtle Beach the summer. We both graduated from high school, and he, and he pulled me aside and he said, you should have beat me that day. And you definitely could have beaten the guy from Reynolds who beat me in the next round. It didn't make me feel any better. I'm just letting you know. Because it was still fresh in my mind, you know. It was like six months. And it was still burning in me. So concerning my Air Force assignment, had I not volunteered for that flying assignment in Mississippi, I might have flown for NASA and had a real shot at the astronaut program. Mida. It's a big Mida. After all, just three months before, I was one of three pilots interviewed for a research pilot position at the NASA Glenn Research Center in Cleveland, where Neil Armstrong and others had flown in the not-too-distant past. I didn't get the job, but I was on the short list for another NASA research pilot position at Ellington Field in Houston. But after my disastrous flying assignment in Mississippi, which we won't go into, nobody at NASA would touch me. Anyway, at the end of that torture-filled night, I believe the Lord had had enough, and he spoke a powerful word to me right before dawn. And I've got a slide for it because I believe it will be an encouraging word for you. I believe it's not just for me. It's for anyone who will receive it. This is what he said to me, and it was very 
long. It was not just a word. It was a paragraph. You know, the Lord gave me a word that night. The Lord gave me a paragraph that night. And I heard it so clearly, I got up and I recorded it verbatim. This is what he said to me. And it was that still, small voice, just loud enough to make out the letters and the words. And he said, everything you have lost in your past, whether due to mistakes that you made, injustices that were done to you by others, or circumstances beyond your control, can and will be restored in your future if you will run the race that I called you to run and not look back. Notice that the Lord said the key to it all is not looking back. Paul knew that. He said it is my one aspiration, forgetting what is behind, and he had quite a past. So some of you might say, how can God say that? Doesn't he know how much time has passed? Doesn't he know how old I am? Doesn't he know how many mistakes I have made? Well, I'll tell you how he can say that. As mind-boggling as it may sound, God had a calling for you before the universe was created, before time itself existed. And the gifts and talents that go along with that calling are irrevocable. That means he will not take them back no matter how much time has passed, no matter how many mistakes you make. Let me show you that in the Word. Both of these are mind-blowing scriptures. 2 Timothy 1.9, New King James. Talking about God, Paul said to Timothy, God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Oh, that sounds so science fiction-y. I love it. Romans eleven twenty nine. before time began. I got to say it again before I go on. Romans eleven twenty nine in the Amplified. Talking about those same gifts and callings that 2 Timothy 1.9 talks about before time began. This is what God says. Romans 11.29, for God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. He never withdraws them when once they are given, and he does not change his mind about those to whom he gives his grace or to whom he sends his call. The gifts and callings of God that are placed upon your life were placed there before the universe was created, before time itself existed, and God has no plans to take those gifts and callings back from you. Oh, yeah, I got a nice slide. The slide says, because I want you to see some of these things, not just hear them, the gifts and callings of God were given to you before the universe was created, before time itself existed, and they are irrevocable. Amen. Can I get an amen? amen? Hallelujah. You know, another mind-blowing scripture that we discussed at length last week is Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, my wife's all-time favorite scripture, because it's just awesome. Most believers that have been walking with the Lord uh, any length of time, that passage usually makes it into your top ten. Amen. I have a version that we discussed in pieces last week, and I felt the need to put them together better this week. I call it the SRF version, the Scott Robin Forrest version. 
You know, verse 20 is a mix of the KJV and the Amplified, and verse 21 is a literal rendering that I got from another source. Altogether, it is awesome and full of revelation. Amen. Paul says to the Ephesians in the SRF version, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly, super abundantly, far over and above all that we dare ask or think, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, hopes, or dreams, according to the power that works in us. Amen. I tell you what, that's just mind-boggling right there. We haven't even gotten to verse 21 yet. Unto him be glory. Unto who be glory? The one who is able to do all these fantastic things we just read in verse 20, beyond our wildest imaginations according to the resurrection power of God that lives within us in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, time without end, amen, or so be it. You know, preachers say this all the time, that time will one day come to an end, or there is no time in the spirit realm, there is no time in heaven, but I I beg to differ. First of all, we just read something uh, absolutely opposite to that, time without end. If you go over to Revelation chapter 8, you'll find that when Jesus opened the seventh seal and the vision that John had, we call it the book of Revelation, it says there was silence in heaven for a period of about a half an hour. So it may not be the same as our time, but the Bible says there is some kind of time in heaven in the spirit realm. It's, it's different, but it is time. And if there, this is my logic here, and if there is time in heaven, then there must be time on earth because Jesus said, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And most people don't think about this. I don't have time to go into it. That's because the earth was a created place. And whether you think about it like this or not, but heaven was a created place. And if the earth and heaven had a time that they were created, then they exist in the realm of time. Therefore, time exists in both realms. Getting back to the main point. The last part of verse 21 makes it clear that the fantastic promises of God spoken of in verse 20 are for all generations and for all time. You know, the King James says, world without end. But that word there translated world in the King James is the Greek word aeon. It means a span of time. Therefore, in context, correctly translated, it means a span of time with no end. Time with no end. We got plenty of time, folks, because it's going to last forever and ever and ever and ever. There will be no end to time. There's plenty of time to get all the things that God has placed in your heart fulfilled in your life. There's plenty of time. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I rejoice in that. You know, you get a little older, you start thinking about time a lot, don't you? Hey, amen. So literally in context, as I said, a span of time without end. That means that there's plenty of time for you and I to fulfill our calling as long as we view time in the broader sense time that spreads across your first life and then into your next life. The bigger picture that we talked about last week, remember that? The panoramic view. 
So it doesn't matter how much time has passed, how old you are, or how many mistakes you've made, there is plenty of time for God to fulfill everything He has promised to do in and through you. I said this last week, and it's worth saying again this week. I got a slide for it. This is an original quote, by the way. I believe the Lord gave it to me. If God was the author of time, how can time stop God from fulfilling what He Himself has authored in your life? Amen. Amen. That's comforting to me. Well, what's the answer to the question? This is what you call a rhetorical question. What's the answer? If God was the author of time, how can time stop God from fulfilling what He Himself has authored in your life? Well, the answer is in the statement. Time can't stop God from fulfilling what He has authored in your life. Just trust in God's ability to bring those gifts and callings forth no matter where you are on your timeline with God. Amen. You got a timeline, and on that timeline, you have significant events that you need to fulfill. I wasn't going to share this, but I'll go ahead and share it. But I had a supernatural visitation in the summer of 1991 when Trisha and I and our young girls that were still with us, they were little toddlers. We were living in Minden, Louisiana, and we had a loft bedroom. And after church one day, uh, we always went to Johnny's. It was the place to go, Johnny's Pizza, the best pizza in the state of Louisiana. <laughs> I see some people disagreeing with me. What is the kind that you like? The Come on, the pizza, the one that, yeah, what's it called? Sweep the Swamp. No hairy fish, no anchovies. That was she, she would get the Sweep the Swamp, no anchovies. <laughs> so anyway, after church, after Johnny's, feeling a little heavy, you know, she was watching the girls. I said, baby, I got to go take a nap. So I walked up to the loft, and I plopped on the bed, and immediately I was in the spirit, and the Lord spoke to me in an audible voice, and he said, the next significant event on your timeline will occur in October of 1995. And I was like, whoa, what, what, what? What's the rest? What's significant about it? Why are you telling me about it five years from now? You know, five years from then. So anyway, it illustrated the point in my life forever that you do have a timeline and God is watching your timeline and he's trying to help you get to those significant events along your timeline until you get to the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. He wants to help you. He wants to cooperate with you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If I had time, I'd share what happened in October of 1995. It's a long, long story, but uh, the Lord nailed it. He read my mail, and he did it five years before it happened. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right, let me wax scientific for a minute. Your life, whether you realize it or not, is a continuum, speaking of timelines. Your life is a one-way continuum. That's a scientific way of saying that once it has begun, there will be no end to it. You had a beginning, but you will never, ever have an ending. You know, God is the only one who's truly eternal because he always existed and always will exist. But we had a beginning. 
we're kind of like God, but we're not like God in the eternal sense. We will have no ending, but we did have a beginning. So we will forever be different from him in that way. And I believe that the dreams God places in your heart, if you hold fast to them, if you pursue them, if you're faithful to your calling, those dreams will inevitably follow you along that continuum, along that timeline, even into the next life. This is something people don't think about. Like I said last week, people think it's going to be boring. You're going to worship God all the time and You're not really going to do anything. You're not going to have jobs or assignments. You're not going to have dreams anymore. You're not going to want nice furniture and a nice house or anything like that. Nothing could be further from the truth, but we're not going to go backwards. We're going forwards. Those dreams will inevitably follow you along that continuum, along that timeline, even into the next life. Now, to help you see that this is a real possibility, that this really does happen, I've got a scripture example in the life of the prophet Elisha that is my proof positive that this is a real principle that does come to pass. Dreams do follow you into the next life. And uh, let me start by saying the prophet Elisha had a desire a dream to operate in a double portion of his master, a double portion of his anointing that was on Elijah. Second Kings chapter 2, verse 8 through 14. We won't read it, but you read the story of how Elisha wanted a double portion of the anointing that his master Elijah had. Amen. So you could say it was a dream that God placed in his heart. I believe firmly that God did place it in his heart. And if you go through the book of uh, 1 Kings, you can follow the story of Elijah. Elijah. If you go through 2 Kings, it's primarily the life of Elisha, okay, with some transition in there. So if you read 1 Kings and 2 Kings, which happened to be my two favorite books in the Old Testament, you would find that there were 14 recorded instances where Elijah, the prophet, operated in the anointing that was on his life with some kind of sign, wonder, or miracle as a result. Fourteen times recorded in the Bible. And there were 27 recorded instances where Elisha operated in the anointing that was on his life with some kind of sign, wonder, or miracle as a result. Twenty-seven. Exactly twenty-seven. So Elijah, if you follow the math, at the time of his death had 14 occasions where he operated in the anointing that was on his life. And Elisha, at the time of his death, had 27 occasions where he operated in the anointing that was on his life. And if you do the math further, Elisha's 27 is still one shy of 28, which would be exactly double. Everybody follow me so far? So it would seem that at least mathematically speaking, the dream of Elisha died when he died. But you would be wrong to conclude that God was not faithful to fulfill the dream that he placed in Elisha's heart. Let's read from 2 Kings 13, verse 20 and 21, an absolutely fascinating story, and I think you'll see what I mean. Then Elisha died, and they buried him. And the raiding bands from Moab invaded from the land in the spring of the year. So it was as they were burying a man that suddenly they spied a band of raiders and they put the man in the tomb of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived 
and stood up on his feet. Amen. There was such a powerful anointing on Elisha's bones that it was able to raise a dead man back to life. Amen. You know, whenever I read this passage, I always imagine someone rushing up to Elisha in Abraham's bosom to give him the news. Hey, Elisha, your bones just raised somebody from the dead. You got your 28. God is faithful. Evidently, Elisha's dream followed him along his continuum, his time continuum, even after he had passed from this life to the next. I think that is amazing. I think that's worthy of just pondering for a few minutes. That gives me a lot of hope because I got some big dreams. Amen? Amen? Now I'm going to stretch your mind a little bit by asking you some questions and thinking about some things that people don't normally think about. What if your dreams are too big for this life? What do you mean, Brother Scott? Well, consider the man in the Middle Ages who dreamed of flying to the moon. Now, other than some supernatural way to get there, they didn't have the technology, they didn't have the know-how, or they didn't even believe it was possible to do such a thing. They couldn't even conceive of the technology required to go to the moon. But we have the technology today to fly to the moon. Even better technology than we did 50 years ago when we did it for the first time. And I say we'll be returning there soon, probably in the next 10 to 20 years, and then on to Mars. When I was a young man, seven years old, I dreamed that I would one day fly to the stars. I never outgrew that dream, by the way. We don't have the technology today for star travel, but I believe we will one day, maybe in the millennium, maybe in the thousand-year reign of Christ. Some would say, now, Brother Scott, aren't you a little old to be holding on to that dream? You know, I know a lot of kids my age in that era, astronauts were the thing to be, you know. We dream the same dream, but I'm just telling you, one way or another, I'm going to fly in space. Whether I go technologically or God takes me there himself, it makes no difference to me, and I'll leave the timing up to him. He's the one who put the dream in my heart. He'll be the one to fulfill that dream. And even though others may do it, God will find a way to make it special for me. I guess I'm trying to illustrate this point. I think we have no idea, no idea. It's infinitely beyond our ability to conceive the way that God can fulfill the dreams that he's put in our hearts. We just don't know enough. We just don't know. The answer is don't limit God. Don't limit him by method. Don't limit him by space or place. Don't limit him by time. He can do it in ways we're currently unable to conceive of. Amen? What about all the millions of babies that were miscarried or aborted? Is their destiny lost forever? What will become of them? Well, first of all, they're in heaven. I hope you know that. They were innocent babies when they were miscarried or aborted. They're in heaven. 
I believe they'll still be able to fulfill their destiny and walk in the gifts and callings that God had placed on their lives because the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. Their dreams will follow them into the next life. It'll just happen for them in the next life. Amen. God will find a way. And this is kind of a side journey, but as I was including this in the message today, I was thinking about, you know, the aborted babies, miscarried babies. Think about the perspective of somebody like that who has never known anything but heaven. Can you imagine how much differently they think than we do? And we're going to get the chance to get to know them and get to know them well. We'll be training for that seven years of the tribulation to return with Jesus. And these are some that will be coming with us. I think that is fascinating. And they'll receive brand new bodies just like the rest of us at the rapture. And we'll rule and reign together with Jesus when we come back to earth for the millennial reign, the thousand-year reign of Christ, the millennial reign, and then beyond. Amen? I thought of a Buzz Lightyear way of saying it. To the millennium and beyond. So let me wrap this up by making the following statement. It doesn't matter whether you think Jesus is coming back in our lifetime or not. It just doesn't matter. It does not absolve you of your responsibility to run your race and to do what God has called you to do in this life. In fact, I believe that we're writing our resume for what we'll do in the millennium right now by how faithful we are to fulfill the gifts and callings of God in this life. And your assignment in the millennium will depend on how faithful you were in the first life. Too many people have an escape mentality when it comes to end times, but we've got a planet full of people, 7 billion people, and most of them don't know Jesus. I know it'd be great. It'd be so much easier if Jesus took us out of here tomorrow. How many times have we said we just want to eject? Let's just get out of here. We want a biblical ejection. We're punching out, you know. It's just too tough. But we've got a lot of work to do. Listen, I believe Jesus is coming back soon, but his soon and our soon are not always the same, amen. 2,000 years ago, he said, behold, I come quickly. That must be heaven's quickly. So with all this in mind, What's the best way to navigate the end times question on everybody's mind? When's Jesus coming back? Soon or later? Live your life like he's coming back tomorrow, but plan your life like he's not coming back for 100 years. That way, when he comes for you, he'll find you running your race. And I'd rather be running and him catch up with me and say, it's time to get out of here than sitting around twiddling my thumbs, Amen just waiting to be snatched out. It's not going to be a rescue operation. It's going to be a departure of the glorious church, and the enemy's going to be glad to get rid of us. Amen. But I'm not here to preach on that. Amen. Here's the bottom line. I'll end with this. It's not too late. It's never too late to do something great for God. Amen. Amen.
We hope you enjoyed part two and the conclusion of Dr. Forrest's message, It's Not Too Late. If you are in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 10 a.m. for coffee and fellowship and 10.30 for worship and service. If you would like to learn more about us and hear more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.